Okay, I'm Amber and welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us, Dave Wolf. He is a food addiction expert and a sugar addiction coach. He is also the co-founder of Sugar X Global and he's a recovering food addict, as am I. Welcome, Dave. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Let's start off with your background. You have an incredibly interesting background. Tell us about that. Tell us about your journey with addiction and how you, where you got to where you are right now doing so much in the community, uh, dealing with food addiction. Yeah. So I had no idea this was a thing for me, um, until probably let's see, maybe 10 years ago. Um, so it's always been present though. In hindsight, I see it, I would come home from school and I would just run downstairs like in a parka and gloves on and I'd like eat five packs of like gummy snacks and I'd like hide the wrappers and, um, you know, I didn't really have an explanation for that. Um, my mom entered into recovery. I mean, for as long as I can remember, my mom's been in recovery, you know, not always clean, but working on it. So that was definitely part of my upbringing. Um, and, uh, so I grew up around that. Like I remember she, she happens to be in, um, you know, through a 12 step model of recovery. So I would remember like the phone calls with people in recovery. I remember, you know, working on that kind of stuff, going to meetings. That was just a big part of our sort of my social norm as a kid. And then, um, I was always pretty thin. I was on, I was putting in amphetamines for ADHD when I was like in the first grade and I was on those for 25 years. So, um, my appetite was really suppressed for a long time. And so I don't think my addiction really took off in regards to some of those symptoms like weight, um, or cravings because I was drugged all the time. So then more recently I've come off those medications in the last, so my, I really stopped when my daughter Willow was born. She's almost three now. So it'll be almost three years off of meds. And that was definitely a process. And Bitten Johnson was a big part of um, helping me to um, kind of reacclimate to life. Um, and, um, and so that was a big part of my story. I don't know. I never fit in as a kid, even when I should have, I didn't feel like I did. So, you know, that kind of speaks to kind of the addict mindset, the addict brain, isolation, alienation, kind of all that stuff. And just like what I call the ism, which is really the manifestation of the disease, um, whether I'm in the food or not, you know, I have a brain that I have to treat and um, I have to treat it, um, you know, every day. So I think just kind of feeling out of place, not feeling right always feeling like i had the world on my shoulders and um i think that that led me ultimately to need to find a way out and um and i realized as a kid that i could do that with certain foods and then i actually really honestly didn't realize i was actually an addict until i was actually already working professionally helping other addicts so it kind of shows you wow. the level of denial that we can face and have to face. And I think that even if you think you're not in denial anymore, uh, you'll find new ways and new behaviors that you act out on. So I went to a program. I was already a dietitian. I was working in a barrier center in Boston. Um, 
I uh, w went to a program called INFACT, which is the International Food Addiction Counselor Training Program. It's run by my friend Esther Helga. She's out of Iceland. And um, so I went to this training and as part of the training, they asked, they did, she did like a one-on-one, -on -one, like a 30 minute call just to kind of see where you were at and why you're doing the course. And, and um, she had me fill out some questions and she said, Dave, I think you're an early stage food addict. And um, I had no defense. You know, my mom's a food addict. My sister's a food addict. I come from a long, long, like if you shake my family tree, a bunch of addicts just fall out. Like that's just the reality. So um, it wasn't a surprise to me. And so I just said, yeah, you're probably right. So that kind of was the start of my own personal recovery journey. And, and by that point, I was already helping other was in a bariatric center. So I think a lot of people that end up in bariatric centers are probably food addicts. So I was using a lot of the sort of the treatment models that we use for addicts for these patients. But I was, I had no idea like the level of my disease at that time. And so that sort of started my journey. And then I, I went through Esther Helga's program. I got connected with Bitten Johnson. We had to pick a mentor. I chose her. Um, so we've been working on one-on-one on and off for like five years wow. um and and yeah so now that's kind of brings me up to speed to today i've left the western medicine um practice of reducing harm and now i just work with addicts full-time we follow an abstinence-based model or our job is to repair your brain um every day we run groups and and things like that so that kind of brings me up to speed on a really quick version of of my story of from being a lost little kid to finding out that i'm an addict while i'm already helping addicts and then starting <laughs> my own journey and and so that brings us up more or less to today okay so are you still technically a registered dietitian or did you literally like just i'm technically still registered okay um though i don't when I work with addicts, I'm not practicing really through that license. Okay. Because it's, uh, well, technically, um, food addiction doesn't exist according to the powers that be. So, so right. Um, I can't diagnose you with it. There's not a coding I can use to bill insurance, you know? So um, uh -huh. I don't really work through that framework. Uh, that was actually my next question and kind of where I was going with that. Sure, sure. So is food addiction real? I mean, Dave, come on. It, it, oh, I, I have it. I mean, it's it, real it, with it, me. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I think God, when you, t when I, I use a lot of what I would call hard substance language, like drug addiction language, alcoholism language, because I think, I think it's, it should be used in the framework of food addiction as well so you know i use terminology like dope sick you know withdrawal like so i just feel like because that's really what i was dealing with and that's what my clients deal with um the members of our community they deal with it too right so is it real um to me it's indisputable it's not something i believe in because i think belief implies that there is an evidence for right so mm -hmm. there is evidence that sugar changes your brain. You can look at an fMRI scan and you can see it looks a lot like what happens to the brain when, when cocaine is used, right? Or when alcohol is used or when opiates are used. It lights up like the Rockefeller Christmas tree. Like, it, you know, that center of the brain becomes damaged and receives a lot less um, electricity, so to speak, 
uh, magnetism in, in the fMRI. So it, it's, to me, absolutely it exists. It's real. Why has it become so difficult for it to be claimed as a diagnosis and to be treated is I think where the money lies. I think that's a big part of it. If you look at the food industry and things like that, um, it's all tied in with that. You know, it's tied in with our agricultural system. It's tied in with everything. So we have to kind of break down some of these barriers. And I feel like a lot of the reason why these barriers are in place are to protect big business. And so um, it becomes it becomes a conflict of interest. Um, as we make advancements in the sugar addiction world, there are a lot of people that have a lot to lose by us kind of getting the truth out there. And um, so I think, I think it makes it difficult. Yeah, very much so. And that was going to be my next question too. And, and then, so. and the other thing is the sugar, which mm -hmm. I know you know about, and you know, I know mm -hmm. you had Bitten Johnson on your show before mm -hmm. the holidays. So, um, you know, that's her jam. And so uh, we do have a tool that can tell us, am I an addict or am I not an addict? And it's, but it's based on the criteria for drug addiction and alcohol addiction. It's just that we've switched it a bit to kind of fit into the food vernacular. Uh, but the symptoms are all the same. I totally agree. And I was kind of in a similar situation as you. Um, Bitten, we connected through the Quit Sugar Summit and she was like, let me do sugar on you. I think this is something that, that would really interest you. And I was like, yeah, heck yeah, let's do it. And after I saw my results, I was like, holy crap, I really am a sugar addict. Oh my God. And I think I always knew it in my head, but because you have all that noise that you just talked about that, oh, it's not real. It's just willpower. You're just too weak or whatever. When I know darn good and well, willpower has never been my issue, but yet time and time again, after I met my goal, I would, you know, go back to doing what I was doing because I couldn't maintain it. And, you know, that really opened my eyes and that is an amazing tool. Y'all is called sugar <laughs> and it is a diagnostic tool and it incorporates various things that is so detailed that it's just kind of mind boggling when you actually see it for yourself. It kills denial. I mean, it just kills <laughs> yeah, denial. It it's just like, it did. Oh shoot. Yeah. So I yeah. think, I think it's a really powerful tool and we actually include it when we do, <clears throat> when we do one of our programs, our sort of in-depth um, program is included because we feel like it's so valuable for the end user um, to get those reports, to see it on paper. And I always tell people like, you're going on a trip. You think your recovery is in question. <laughs> Take it with you. Put that in your suitcase because nothing's going to remind you like, like those graphs, you know, <laughs> like where you're at really, you know, and, and yeah. how addicted you really are. It's, it's really actually funny. I haven't, um, I haven't done a sugar. I haven't, um, I was just speaking with uh, one of our community members who's also in HMA, the, the program with Bitten Johnson. And um, I was telling her that she's like, oh, oh, I'm a student. I've got, I have to do one. Let me do one on you. So I'm oh, going to get my sugar done. So. Lucky. I want, I would, I would have so, I shouldn't say this, done you. That sounds really bad. But um, I would have loved to have had you do sugar. How fun to see that. I mean, not fun, but you know what I mean. Interesting. I get it. It's the truth. Interesting. It's good. We need it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I've learned a lot using that tool. And I, I want to just tell you kind of about a situation and you having the background as a dietitian and 
the food addiction, I, I just want to tell you the story and, and get your take on it. Okay. My very first client as Bitten said, Oh girl, you picked, a, you picked one <laughs> for your first client. And, and she, she just had all kinds of different things going on. Anyway, she sent herself to a treatment center. Okay. For um, a eating disorder, bulimia. Okay. And I was al already working with her on the sugar addiction part. Well, what she was really wanting out of that was the therapy part. And when she first went in, she vetted all these different um, treatment centers and said, look, I am on the carnivore diet. There's a specific reason for it. It has nothing to do with my eating disorder. It, I have been diagnosed as a sugar addict, and that's the best way for me to remove all the foods that cause me issues. Is there going to be a problem with me, you know, being on that a specific diet? And they assured her, no, no, no. She asked them multiple, multiple, multiple times. Mm -hmm. Now, oh, granted, yeah. this is the office people I'm assuming um, versus the actual workers, the dietitians, the therapists, et cetera. And so when she got in, oh no, that was not okay. They wanted her to eat every food, including Oreos and oh, yeah. desserts and all that, sure. because nothing should be limited ever because that is, you know, bad for the eating disorder. Right. And she was like, no, you don't understand. That is going to be bad for me. I can't heal. I can't do what I need to do and function when I'm under uh, the, you know, drug. Right. Sure. And they were like, well, can you just like maybe add honey to milk? And she's like, why would I do that? Why? Just for the fact of trying to prove that I'll eat dessert? What? What? What is your take on that? I mean, that blew my mind because I don't care who you are. Oreos aren't good for anybody. How can that be good for healing the brain, whether you have an eating disorder, absence of food addiction or not? What is your take? My take is that... Um... Addicts are not designed for eating disorder treatment centers, right? The treatment is totally different. Yes. You know, and, and uh, it's a problem. It really is a problem. And, you know, they're drawing, I think, largely from the information that they have. Um, and they're, they've eliminated maybe some more modern recent, I mean, low carb Boca, Michelle Hearn was talking about, um, uh basically low carb for anorexia you know what i mean like um so there's some new things that are coming out that i think are going to be really helpful in the treatment space till i don't know how long it's going to take till they start getting up 20 years <laughs> yeah maybe maybe more um but it's very problematic and i think that the story that you're telling me is it's not a new story it's it's a really old story and i think that doctors and whatever they end up using their I don't want to say authority but you know their authority mm -hmm. of knowledge and and um and I have clients that come to me and they're like well my last dietitian or they're afraid to talk to me because they're like my last dietitian recommended I eat saltines or you know whatever and I'm just like oh my god I would never do that in a million years that is insanity so um I think it's a really big problem and and you know one of the one of the things that Bitten says often, which is something that I heard once, um, and I use it all the time, is that moderation is the great mythical unicorn. Like the reality of someone like me being able to moderate is absolutely preposterous. Mm -hmm. uh, I cannot moderate. I am not a moderator. No, um, I, agree. I am an abuser. 
you know, I'm an addict. So, um, and even when I can, I can make anything sound like a good idea, like in my own head, you know, like I can make it seem like, well, I'm in a treatment center and Bobby Sue and Billy Joe are eating an Oreo and they seem okay. Like I could be like, so, so, you know, it, it makes sense that like in this setting, I should like be okay. Like, right. And, and time and time again, we're, we're taught the same lesson over and over. Right. And, and until we do it, till we start to act differently and live differently. And, uh, and so it's a really, it's a common problem and it's a conundrum and it breaks my brain to even think. Um, I don't know why toxic substances are allowed in treatment centers, um, but even you see it even in alcohol and drug treatment centers. Um, Cause I've done like outreach work for things like that. And you walk in and they've got vending machines in their lounges filled with all sorts of garbage. Um, I just don't think they understand the connection between food and the brain. Um, or I, just, I honestly, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that they just don't know uh, because I, I think they don't know. Um, but if they did, I don't know. I don't know. It's the same problem with school lunch, right? Uh, it's cheap. It's cheap. Uh, it, whether yeah. it's food or not, it's cheap. They don't really, and their, their budget restraints are absolutely ridiculous. Um, like they have like 35 cents to feed a kid lunch. So, um, and I understand that, but it's just simply not food. No, it's really not. And I actually had the dietitian contact me. I think she was trying to get me to agree with her and, you know, change my mind because apparently I didn't know what I was talking about. Mm, and, you know, sure. she was basically telling me food addiction does not exist. It, right. it is not, you know thought of as that. And there's all this research proving it's not. And she's, you know, sent a bunch of stuff and I'm like, oh my gosh, you don't understand. She, if you give her or you have her eat those cookies or the whatever junk, you don't know what you're doing to her. You know, right. I've worked with it. her. I know her. I mean, right, right. I, I, I get her addiction. I, I'm a, I was a bulimic. I get it. I understand the eating disorder world. I do. And I'm like, this is not, it, no. And it, 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 we just went round and round. Anyway, they ended up to start discharging yeah. her and okay. we make a joke about it that she got discharged because she wouldn't eat an Oreo. Yeah. She got kicked out <laughs> yeah. for non-compliance. The, um, I think yeah. it's really sad. I think the other piece, you know, is God, my thought just left my mind. <laughs> it's so, it's just troubling. It's it just really, really is troubling that. Um, and you know, she's, she's probably like, bless your heart. You don't understand. And, and you're like, mm -hmm. you are saying the same thing. Cause you just live in totally different worlds. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the more information we know about food, the harder it is for us to actually run studies because they're, they're actually causing harm. So <laughs> we can't like actually study this. And it's just like, it's very hard to do studies on women that are pregnant because it's, it's just, well, it's unethical. what will happen. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And, and I don't know, I, that's, that's a hard word to swallow when it comes to like mm -hmm. the treatment modalities in the eating disorder world. And I tell people, you know, like I don't, Oh, here, I remember what it was. Um, if you, if you listen to Bitten Johnson talk about food addiction and over the kind of the course of the person developing food addiction, mm -hmm. they do practice behaviors that 
many would consider eating disorders, right? Yes. Bulimia, restriction, mm-hmm. binging, right? They're not the disease. They're just symptoms of the disease of addiction, mm-hmm. right? So, and then I that think people end up, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. It's everybody. I mean, you know, it's, it's me too. It's, and I'm really, I'm like, I'm like what you call high bottom. Like my life didn't get that bad for me to get recovery like to do the work oh. it was like i lost a job i You're didn't know lucky. my life yeah yeah yeah. i'm very 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 fortunate i'm very high bottom and people helped raise my bottom up and help me become willing to do the actions that i needed to take to stay in recovery um, but the reality is that's not true for most people and they've go through this trajectory of all sorts of different eating disorders but they're not really eating disorders they're just methods for us to manage our addiction Mm-hmm. Like the reason why we stricted so much, it wasn't because we had anorexia. Not at all. We were just trying to control some of the symptoms of the disease of addiction. Same thing with bulimia, same thing with binging. It was just, it was an attempt to solve the problem. It wasn't the problem itself. Amen. And that is exactly what I did. Exactly. I went through thing after thing, you know, it was anorexia, then it was bulimia, then it was um, anorexia athletica and orthorexia, whatever. I mean, I probably had just pretty much every one out there. I probably had it at one point or another as I kind of went through. And, And now it's so clear in my head. Now that I understand it's so clear, it was the addiction, the food addiction. And it just, it's just kind of, yeah. We say primary progressive fatal yeah. primary came first progressive is going to get worse and it'll kill you talk about that because I, I know when i first heard bitten say that y'all y'all need to follow bitten johnson i'm going to just tell you she's awesome anyway but she very much talks about that in 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 the sense that um and i forgot where i was going with that dang it <laughs> it came first uh, yeah sure. oh oh about the fatal part yeah duh. um where when she first said that i was like fatal food addiction fatal food what what but i i didn't really fully understand that it does progress through and then you know you either you know you get that you know obesity going and then you have all the other issues that come along with it or your health even if you're not obese suffers and then if you if you if it keeps going it can end in death like heart attack or you know diabetes complications and talk a little bit about that how food addiction ultimately can lead to your death. Yeah. So I, I mean, addiction is insidious. So I like, I use a lot of kind of like imagery or analogies. So if you have a circus and you know, you have a baby elephant and you stake the elephant down, right. To keep it in one place, like rope around its neck, it's pinned to the ground. Right. And, and so it grows up its whole life that way. And eventually it becomes a, a full blown adult elephant. The elephant could knock over the circus if it wanted to, but it's conditioned that it's pinned down and it can't do anything about it. I think that's ultimately what happens with disease of addiction. It just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And it does it in such a gradual, insidious way that you can't really do anything about it until you're imprisoned by it. Right. And so, so it's insidious. It, it increases in harm without us noticing. And I think 
what cuts through that is the sugar. And you look back at your life and you see all the symptoms. You're like, oh, my God, you know. And um, I mean, you know, I think you mentioned a lot of it, you know, the metabolic complications of like a lot of people look at diabetes like it's a disease. They look at um, atherosclerosis or high blood pressure, hypertension, whatever. They're diseases. To me, they're not diseases. They're symptoms. They're symptoms of the root cause, which at least in my case was addiction. So all of these things, when I treat the disease of addiction, disappear, right? I can reverse diabetes. Granted, I'm talking about type two. I'm not talking about type one. Yeah, please put that in there. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to tee anyone Woo! off. Right? So, yeah, I'm saying. <laughs> um, so, so I think that they're reversible if I treat the right thing. But if I just treat my diabetes and I don't treat my addiction, then it's going to come out some other mm-hmm. called whack-a-mole. It's going to come out through some other. Hole. <laughs> All those things could kill me, right? Hypertension is the silent killer. Mm-hmm. Diabetes, you could lose my limbs. I could lose my eyesight. My kidneys could fail. I could end up on dialysis. There's a number, I mean, there's choose your own adventure, you know, way to death, so to speak. But I think, I think that it goes back to the primary illness. If I treat my primary illness, the secondary illnesses disappear. They go away. They can't survive, you know? And, and so part of that is, you know, we talk about the food, but really it's about, I think, repairing the brain so we can live a way, live a life that doesn't require food. Like we need to eat, but it doesn't require food to change the way I feel. So it's not that I don't eat sugar. It's that I live a certain way that enables me to not have to eat sugar. Oh yeah. I like the way you said that. So it's a different, it's, it's like a mindset switch, but I think, um, I think it is fatal and, and not just physical life. I don't just mean mortality, but like, um, emotional death, spiritual Mm. death, you know, like when I'm in the food, I'm disconnected. Like I can't be a dad, (laughs) certainly not a good one. You know, certainly not present for my kids, certainly not present for my partner. You know, I'm unreliable. I'm late. Like I'm not living. I might be in a living body, but like life is not an enjoyable thing. Um, It's just, I'm going from drug to drug, to drug, to drug, to try to change the way I think, or I feel. And it's just, it's a terrible way to live. So even if we're not like, I'm a thin addict, right? So like a lot of them, I probably had metabolic consequences, um, but they weren't, they weren't obvious to, to you or to someone else Mm -hmm. looking at me because I wasn't an normal sized body but I was still, I was still living in a crazy way. And, and I think that's kind of a false perception where people like, they only think obese people are food addicts that if you're thin, well, obviously you're not that that's false because you can be in any body and, and be a food addict. You don't have to be obese. Now, granted, a good majority of those who are obese probably do have food addiction, but just because you're thin doesn't mean you don't have it. Sure. My, uh, my friend, <laughs> Phil Wardell, he says, uh, if you focus on your weight, you'll lose your abstinence, your recovery. And if you focus on your recovery, you'll lose the weight. So I think, I think it's a matter of putting things, putting the cart in front of the horse. Like it says that all the time. <laughs> I was gonna your, say. <laughs> she's always talking about the, the horse and the cart, you know, yeah. And, you know, and, and so it's so hard to convince someone of that though, you know, to be honest, the hardest addicts to work with food addicts I'm talking about are either thin 
or wicked grain addicted. The fog is just, it's, it's worse than sugar. It's like worse than like as a clinician or a coach trying to work with someone in like fulminant brain fog, they're usually, um, the thinner ones are harder and, and the, the ones that are really hooked on grain and the, and the opiate effect of the grains and the, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So I may have looked normal, but my brain was not by any stretch of the imagination. And if you used the ICD-10 or the DSM criteria for classifying substance abuse, um, you'd be amazed at the percentage of the population that would meet criteria. What, what, be, what are the percentages that you've heard? I've kind of seen some different things, but have you seen anything more definitive about the guesstimate of uh, the percentage of population that would be considered a food addict? Um, I mean, I've seen, well, we know that a third of America is overweight and a third is obese. So if, if we take that, I mean, I would venture to, to actually, well, like, I think we have to differentiate between like clinically meeting criteria for substance abuse uh -huh. and what a lot of people perceive an addict is like, uh -huh. right? So there's a big difference there uh -huh. where like a lot of people are picturing kind of the alcoholic under the bridge in a brown bag. And that's just not, that's not how it is. Um, lots of these people have wonderful jobs, wonderful families. And it's just like everything in their life is going well, except for the fact that they're an addict. Like, and so I think that that picture is really important to understand. So I would venture to guess that of the overweight and the obese population, I would say more than 85% would probably meet criteria for <laughs> substance abuse. Um, so what is, and then you also have thin people or non, I don't want to say thin people, people who don't meet criteria for overweight or obesity. <laughs> um, and that I would, I don't know, you could probably go anywhere with 40 to 60% would probably meet criteria. I think it's a massive number. The problem mm -hmm. is that you're dealing with a criminal amount of denial. So yeah, there are a ton of food addicts out there and they could all really use help. But they don't necessarily want help. Is that because they don't want to give up the drug or because they have no idea something's wrong? And the Be other because thing everybody does it. I mean, everybody does. And the other thing that drives me bonkers is that there are a lot of people in the health and wellness or low carb space or whatever, and they use the term addiction and they have no idea what it means. They think it means that I, well, I've people say something like that. People I respect, people that I have a lot of admiration for, say things like, "Well, I used to be addicted to sugar." And I always be like, used to dot, 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 question mark. Like <laughs> what? Um, Cause I missed the boat on that one. Um, so I think like that's a misnomer and, and you have folks that use the word addiction, carb addiction, chocoholic, da, da, da. And they don't really understand the power of the word addiction to me. And I've, I've come to a place in my own recovery where it's not a handicap it's more of an asset to me because I'm, I'm i'm an addict i mean i'm driven um there's addicts are some of the most driven people i've ever met like if you can take 10 percent of what you use to chase a fix and you can chase your dreams with i mean you're going far baby there's just no two ways about <laughs> it feel like like my colleague um anna 
uh, we call her coach mm-hmm. Anna. She talks about how like, like we were the people and primally that survived. We were like, let's go Ralph. We need an antelope. And we go, we just like, we just like out of berries. Here we go. You know, like we're like the action takers. And so um, sometimes we're all action and no thought, but it's sometimes it's those people that are able to face their fears and, and survive. So I think it's an asset and it's just a matter of how do we take this, this like terminal punishment and turn it into a gift. And I, I really think that's what recovery does. So I don't want to frame addiction. Like it's like this just terrible, awful uh, because really it's, it's given my life so much meaning and so much purpose, um, even outside of my work, um, a sense of community and need for community, belonging, meaning, um, so much of that is driven from the fact that, I mean, I'm an addict. And like Bitten it's says. It's a hard pill to swallow though. I mean, that, yeah. It's a superpower though, right? <laughs> I think it is. I mean, but who who doesn't want one of those, you know? So <laughs> it's definitely it, a gift. When Bitten talks about it being a superpower and that we have sensitive brains, what does she mean by that? Like it, describe what she's meaning by that for, for those who pretty much know they're food addicts. They just haven't really come to terms with it yet. Think about like some sort of weather management system or something that measures air pressure or whatever like the more sensitive it is the more able it can kind of capture nuance or small shifts or or um like if my mic is really high you're gonna hear like the moisture in my mouth you're gonna hear like all this Mm -hmm. stuff because it's so sensitive so i think that we can process more information and not just verbal information like reading a room energy like most of the most talented people i know like we're um, in our community we're working through russell brand's book and it's sort of his book recovery is sort of his take on the 12 steps and like here's here's a man who most people would probably classify as insane right but he has a gift and the able the reason he was able to hone that gift was because he was in recovery and so like if you read his like they hit you on a gut level and he's very gifted i think it's because he's very sensitive brain so um and he's a controversial figure and i know that um but his book is incredible um i think i think we just receive lots of info and we can process it and whereas other people get overwhelmed by it i would i would be really curious to know how many empaths are actually addicts. That would be a really interesting I say, thing. I would say that most of the ones I know are. Yeah, I mean, whether they know it or not. Um, yeah. So, but I, I, that'd be interesting study. Yeah. Yeah, I think that'd be really cool. Because I'm an empath too. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't like do anything Me too. With it, but like, it's like sometimes Me too. it's like, whoa, can we just turn this off for a minute? Um. So yeah. Yeah, I totally I get that, and I've kind of started to accept it like before i was kind of denying it like eh, whatever that's no whatever and i would push whatever it was out because i was you know loopy whatever but now i'm kind of like owning it and like okay i may not be one of them really you know highly tuned ones but you know i'm starting to kind of pull it together so i think it's interesting I think we all have heard things that weren't said and felt <laughs> things that weren't there or you know i think that 
I think that social norms, not to go on like this crazy tangent, but like <laughs> social norms have made us feel um, that it wasn't okay to be able to have these gifts. Okay. Whereas lots of, I mean, my brother-in-law is like a world-renowned psychic medium. Like Ooh. he's just like a regular guy. It's just like he has this, he's tuned into this thing. And I think we can all get premonitions and things like that. I mean, mm-hmm. but you know, it's totally another subject. Yeah, I know, but I, right? I but it's cool. We, I think that we, I think that we've ended up limiting our own selves by the way that we think. And so, you know, as a person in recovery, I have to keep an open mind. Like mm-hmm. my life depends on me being open to new ideas and concepts. So I think it's opened my mind to the idea of all sorts of these different things. And oh yeah, and me too. That I wouldn't have yeah. even been um, remotely tuned into um, before recovery. Yeah. Not to mention that I, was I just totally think it's cool, it. though. You know, all these different things that I, I used to think I called it woo woo. You know, <laughs> it's like yeah, whatever. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now I'm kind of like, hmm, I don't know, maybe. Okay, all right. <laughs> I was talking to um, my wife. Now, my wife is the psychic's sister. Okay. So she was saying, like, I was it, I was getting a healing session from a friend of mine. Her name's Tracy, and she's trained in body code. And it's basically something with magnetic resonance, and they can, like, mm. remove energy that's been trapped in your body, so to speak, for, for long periods of time. And she's like, I don't believe in that. I was like, well, how is that different than, you know, like, <laughs> a psychic or – Right. And she's like – Oh, I guess you're right. So I think I think we all have these like paradigms that things can't exist as fact in, but it's really it's really just the paradigm that's broken. It's our way of thinking about it that's broken. And I think that applies to recovery, right? It mm-hmm. applies to all sorts of different things. Absolutely. Open-mindedness, that's huge. I agree. And, and that's something I've, I've had to struggle with too. And, you know, trying to like be a little bit more open um, because I tend to be one of those, you know, 150% one way, you know, and so I have to be kind of, oh, you mean you're like all or nothing. Yeah. You're like an addict. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I've been there. I'm I'm, I'm still there. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, and I think after going through, um, the sugar training and, you know, doing some of the HMS and other stuff that I've done here lately, it really kind of opens my eyes to the fact that I was dang lucky. I really was lucky in the sense that I went probably 50 years being an addict. Okay. I was probably little when this happened, you know, and um, I I know at least by the age of 10 and I'm 55 now and I got a grip on it without understanding. I got a grip on it about five years ago, four years ago, 2017, whatever the March of 2017 is when I started going keto and I eliminated all the sugar and those grains and stuff. And by doing that, it allowed me to kind of, you know, be able to move on with my life. And I attributed it just to the, to the diet, which that is extremely helpful. Absolutely. hundred percent. I, you know, in carnivores, even better in my opinion, but uh, for that issue, but I never really looked at it as, you know, an addiction issue. Not really. I mean, yeah, I teased and said, Oh, I was a chocoholic. Okay. Blah, 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 whatever. A breadaholic, whatever. But I never really looked at it as an addiction. I, I just, you know, and now that, that, now that I see that I'm like, Oh, good Lord, I have to be careful because I thought I could, you know, have like something for a special, you know, a very limited time. And I have crazy willpower. So that's, that's probably not an issue with me, but 
Is it the one other bite that I have or, or one more drink of whatever it is? Is that going to be my tipping point? Now I'm like aware that I have probably been really lucky that, you know, <laughs> maybe if I would have taken it one step farther, I'd be right back where I used to be. And so that's kind of a scary thought. Right, right. So, yeah. But as addicts, we love living on the edge anyway. But uh, I, I, I agree. I agree 100 percent. It's and and um, I think a lot of people. I don't think they understand it, Mm-mm. you know, whether it's and the other thing I was thinking about when you were talking is what the sugar does really is it kills guilt and shame. And and it just does. It's just like, OK, oh, I get it now. Like, this is why I did this, this and that. This is why I picked out that bag of chips from the trash and had even the crumbles of it. Mm-hmm. You know, this is why I hit rappers. This is why I <laughs> stole money from my parents. This is why, you know, and, and it's just like it was your brain. It was just your need to survive. Right. The addict uses as if their survival depends on the drug. Listen to this. This is crazy. And I share this all the time on podcasts. If you take someone, like if you take a hardcore drug addict, like whatever, let's just assume they're a heroin addict. Um, and they're sick. They're dope sick. Like they're nauseous. They're shaking. They're trembling. They're, they're really sick. And you tell, and, and they call their dealer and they go to pick up drugs. Like they haven't taken drugs yet. They're not even there yet. Their withdrawal's gone. They know it's coming. The brain is like the brain is already higher than it will be with the drug, because wow. the drugs don't really even work anymore. They just wow. remove the side effects of withdrawal. Because addicts get to that point where the sugar doesn't work, the heroin doesn't work, the alcohol doesn't work. You know, and so that's the power of the brain. So why not tap into that in a beneficial way instead of into a harmful way? And that's what the brain training is all about. It's about, you know, reframing your mind on things like acceptance and crushing denial and, and all that's because all this stuff, I think those are superpowers, right? Like Bitten says. Mm -hmm. And so, so I think the brain's ability to adapt and that's just shown by the fact that they're already high without the drug. That stands to me to believe that you can be a happy, contented and fulfilled person without the drug. It was never the drug. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Exactly. It's really powerful. <laughs> yeah, I love I love how that's put. Because I do think that, you know, when you, you hear that word addict, you're like, oh my God, you know, there's something severely wrong with me. I'm this horrible person. But it's not that. It's your brain. It's like you didn't ask for that. Okay, yeah, you put the food in your mouth or the drink or whatever drug. But what happens to your brain after that? That is not your fault. That is nothing you can control. That is beyond your control. And I think that when you describe to people the brain in like the three parts, it does. The brain has a ton of parts, but like the three main parts that I use to describe addiction is like you have your brainstem. It's connect. It connects your spinal column to your brain, right? It's like if you don't have that part of your brain, you're screwed. I mean, it, it, you're dead, right? It, it, it's like your respiratory rate, your blood pressure, your body temperature, like core essential functioning is just to sustain life, just to keep you alive. Like, so if that area of the brain is cooked, you're on a ventilator. Like you can't, 
survive, right? So then you have the limbic system, which is where our reward center lives. And that's responsible for like emotional regulation, like things from fear, drives for sleep and sex, and it basically drives. And that's where our reward center is. And that's where our addiction lives. And then we have this fantastic human brain called the prefrontal cortex, right? And like, if you've ever tried to train a dog, you know that they don't have one. They don't have a prefrontal cortex. They can't reason. They can't tell jokes. They can't. They can. They can manipulate environments and people, but that's the addict brain, and that's in the limbic system. So that's why I'm on my way to the store, while I'm my my frontal cortex, my like superpower human brain is being like, Dave, bad idea. Don't go to the store. Every time you've ever gone to the store and gotten drug foods, bad things have happened. But it doesn't matter. Because a more primal, a simpler part of my brain, the drive-oriented part of my brain is like, you need a drug right now or else you're going to die. And so I drug, right? As an addict, that's what happens. So, so but to realize what's going on, that, it's, that you're using against your will, that you were talking a lot about willpower, that willpower has mm-hmm. nothing to do with it. Like I was about to bring that will, up. <laughs> willpower is like... Right, because it's this part of the brain. You can't even tap into it because it's so hooked on the substance and the reward center. It needs its hit. As my mom would say, you need your nummies. You know, like you're just like you're you're feeling the feels and you don't know what to do. So you got to numb out. You know how to numb out ever since you were a little kid. You just picked up an, an Oreo. You mentioned Oreos, right? Whatever it is to take you out of the moment that you're in. And so really interesting video with Eric Clapton. He did a, a video yeah. with... Uh, mm-hmm. He was being interviewed, I think, by 60 Minutes. Uh-huh. And they were like, heroin was your first drug. And he was like, God, no, sugar. I was, And he was talking about how that's five years old. And he, and, and he classifies a drug as anything that will change the way you think or feel. And now if we use that definition, think about all the drugs we have to face on a regular day-to-day basis. Social media, right? Your phone, food. Gaming, shopping. Gaming, shopping. They're all process addictions. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It is mind blowing. We beat, our, and yet for some reason, with the food, we just beat the hell out of ourselves. Mm-hmm. We believe that we should be able to manage this because it's just food. Here's the thing, guys: it's not just food. These are highly engineered food-like substances. These aren't food. Steak is a food. A Cheeto is not a food. It's made in a lab. It's designed to give you an experience. Um, and look at the advertisements they use. They're not selling you a food. They're selling you a feeling like the Coke commercials with the people smiling and the, mm-hmm. you know, the, and it's in the go-gurt and the, it, it, that's not food. That's, that's brain hijacking. Um, and so I think we have to take the stigma out of the food. And I think that's the way to do it and to realize that what we're really up against. This, this is chemical, this is neurochemical warfare. You know, this is, this is not, um, it's not a, it's a, this item or a, that item. It's, they know exactly how to elicit, elicit a surge of dopamine in your brain. And they know what will happen when you have that surge. They know that you'll want more. And now they put it in the formulas for babies. Babies. Corn syrup, yeah, the high fructose corn syrup. And it's I really, tried to... I, re- I really feel bad for people that can't breastfeed because there are people that no, I know. And what kind of options I've heard of people mixing heavy cream and egg yolks? Um, oh wow! But, you know, there's not a lot of research on that. So what is a mm-hmm. what what 
does a mom do? Exactly. They have like almost yeah. nowhere to turn. No, they don't. And I, I've, I've heard that now they're coming out with some new formulas, supposedly. I don't know. Um, but um, my granddaughter just turned three and she was breastfed. But I kept her during the day once my daughter went back to teaching and I tried to find formula. I'm talking, I researched it because I was all in the midst of, you know, uh, my health journey, right? And my coaching, et cetera. And I could not find it, could not find it. I finally settled on a brand from Germany. They still had um, some of the sugar, I don't know, something in it, but they didn't have like the seed oils in it and a few other things. And so I went ahead and got that just in case. Thank goodness I never had to use it and I end up throwing it, throwing it away. But the fact that I couldn't find a clean product, good gosh, that's a baby. I, I mean, wonder about like, you know, I wonder if you just use like keto chow or something. I don't know how. Right. Works, I don't know. know. I mean? But a lot of these products have other things in them, like sweeteners and things like that. So it's, it's really yeah. interesting. And I think it's a, um, like I said, it's become so like I say normalized is normal. Mm-hmm lies so it's mm-hmm. like it's become such a social norm um that it's that it's normal but it's really not normal it's not mm-hmm. normal to eat cheetos it's become no. normalized to eat cheetos and there's a big difference but if you don't eat it then you've got issues because you should not restrict any food but uh, here's the key right, word right. food <laughs> right 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 and they're asking you to restrict the non-foods right yeah. Harmful mm-hmm. substances, disease causing yeah. agents. It's another way of looking at it. Exactly. It's just mind boggling, boggling to me. And because it's so clear, like, you know, when I started getting into all the health, you know, information and stuff, nutrition, and all that, before I even got into the addiction part of it, it was, it's just crazy what's out there and then how people react to it because it's like, people are drug pushers when it comes to mm, food. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good God. Yeah. I mean, you all, you at, you're at, treated like you're this weirdo, this crazy person because you won't eat crap. It right, makes no it, sense. It, be, it makes, it makes social situations really challenging. Yeah. It does. Even within yeah. a family, it's like. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Within the family. I mean, I think about like Thanksgiving, you know, it's just. Yeah. It's, people are like, I've been doing what I've been doing for like five years and, and people are like, oh, you're still on that diet. so the word diet used to mean what we eat exactly now Mm -hmm. it's what we don't eat you know what I mean it's so funny because like a lion's diet was gazelle right like a hippo's diet was like small plants and vegetation you know a cow's diet is grass but for a human the word diet means exactly what we restrict so it's like no that's just different it's we get to a point where it's framed differently and we it's just part of who I am. It's just how I eat. Exactly. And, and it's crazy to me that somebody would push something that can hurt you, like literally hurt. Right. You. What's the deal with that? What's the deal it, with that? It, well, it, like, my eyes are so open that, that, you know, when I see this and I hear this, I'm just like, why, why would you want me to ingest something? Like, uh, would you tell me to eat arsenic? It's just it's a little like, bit's not going to hurt you. I mean, I think it's like, they don't, they're, they're after making someone feel different. Like they're after 
Mm-hmm. Like I was talking about, like the yeah. experience. So I think it's really harmful. And if you ask my mom what her favorite thing to do is, my mom's an addict in recovery, right? She's like to feed people. <laughs> and like <laughs> we realize how like messed up that really is, you know? It, like, yeah. Because what are we? What we're trying to like satisfy, satisfy other people's wants and needs, and it's like, um, it's like so codependent. And when the new term that we're starting to use is a um, compulsive helper. You know, so because I think codependency is so misunderstood, um, but people get what it is to like help compulsively. But I think I think it's true. I, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's a huge problem. And, you know, I think about. Oh, I think about my grandma sitting in her nursing home in her wheelchair, blind from the way that she treated her body her whole life, mm-hmm. like waiting for the fried clams to come from Simcoe on the bridge from Boston, you know, just like. I mean, is it, where are they? Are they here yet? You know, just like, no, that was active addiction. That was active addiction. That wasn't cute at all. That was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do find that so sad. And I admit that I used to do that because oh, I, I got pleasure out of making foods that gave pleasure to my family. And, you know, even some things that I thought were healthy that now I understand are not. Um, but I did that because I like to see the, mm, you know, that look on your, your face of pure oh, yeah. pleasure, you know, Absolutely. and yeah. it, it's, and now because I view food so differently and it's not that I don't enjoy my food. It's not that, you know, I just, I'm not into the cooking like I used to be because I understand food is your fuel. Yes. Enjoy it. Absolutely. But it's not this big production that I used to do, you know, where everything, you know, I had to have all the colors of the rainbow, the play, you know, and all that good stuff. Was <laughs> and I would spend was like three sanity. hours in the kitchen a night cooking and, you know, making everything nice and then the cleaning up. And, and to me, I'm like, that is ridiculous. I, I mean, if that's what you like to do and that's your hobby or something, okay, whatever. But I got stuff to do. I don't have time right. to be right. in, up in the kitchen, you know, making this woo food that's going to trigger your brain and cause a whatever else going on, you know, just, just make a simple steak and eat it and be done. Let's go. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's liberating it's to me. Yeah. It's liberating. Is that not liberating to you now? It's, it's freeing, like, you know, it's funny. Yes. Cause I was, I'm a, I was a former artist and bread baker. So I was like oh. handing out bread to people. Um, <sighs> I like had a bread blog. I had three starters in my fridge. They all had first names. Like it was nuts. It was not healthy. Like, and, and um, to realize that I was just like handing out disease loaves, you know, like these are, these are microbiome destroying, you know, these are, these are brain chemicals, you know, Mm. and and I just didn't know what I was doing. And so Mm. I got some information and I was still baking because it was still a hobby, even though I wasn't eating it. And I realized like, this is stupid. (laughs) <laughs> this is crazy this is insanity i used to be um, a cake decorator yeah. oh okay yeah so yeah right, yeah, yeah. yeah we're right there we're right uh-huh. there together. yeah 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 um it's like yeah it's nuts. <laughs> right for sure okay let's let's talk we're, we're pretty much you know getting down to time but but for for those people who are kind of struggling with am i really a food addict or not can you just talk about some signs that could indicate you may have an addiction problem? Sure. Um, if you try to stop and you can't, that's one. I think the other thing is like, um, do you react differently to people 
depending on what you had for dinner? Like, does mm-hmm. it change the way that you respond to stress or stimuli? Right? Are you more irritable after you ate something than you were before? Um, I think really is my favorite is can you stop and can you stay stopped? Because lots of people can stop, mm-hmm. but they can't stay stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think there's a there's a screening tool that I adapted with Bitten Johnson called the S Uncope. Um, that is a six question yes or no. Um, it's a screen. It's not an assessment. It's just a screen. So it, it kind of tells us like if you have two or more positive answers, it's, it's time to do some more digging and some more research. And like you mentioned the sugar, that would be a really good first thing to start with. Um, I think um, I'm trying to think, you know, I, I think, do you, do you eat something that you know will cause you guilt and you eat it anyway? Do you eat something and you debate whether you should or shouldn't eat something and you eat it anyway? Like these are things that addicts do. Um, do you um, long for something? Do you twenty four seven hide it? Right. Uh, do you mm-hmm. romance it? Right? Mm-hmm. That's that's another thing. We say those guilt debate romance. Those are those are really those are really big ones. And and do you eat despite consequences? That could be in your relationships. It could be in your body. It could be your health. It could be the way you feel. It could be your mood. Um, I think a lot of that ties in really um, nicely with the concept of addiction. Also, I think, you know, and and this is something I used to say, I can't live without blank food, Mm. banana, um, chocolate, bread, pasta, rice. I used to say all of that. Oh, I could not live without that. My life wouldn't be worth living if I couldn't have that. I've heard that. I'd I'd rather be dead than give up carbohydrates. I've heard that. Uh-huh. Family red flag, red flag. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. Because there's more to life than your food. Oh my goodness. Um, so much more. And so, when you don't have to think about the food freaking 24-7, it's amazing what other things you can occupy your time with. You're not in the kitchen preparing the food or looking at recipes or watching food programming. Good God, I used to do all that. Holy cow, the Food Network. The uh, it was you on no time for all anything. day, all day long that was on. I and remember, it, and, yeah, I remember my friend Danny said to me, he's like, he's like, remember when you didn't have kids, Dave? What did you do with your time? you know and it was just like it's true like mm-hmm. i don't even remember what it was like and i don't remember what it was like as an active addict i just forget um because it was constant it was constant it was constant the next thing the next thing the next thing the next thing that'll make me okay even though the first thing never made me okay it was just like you're chasing the same and you can't replicate your first high it's the, no. it's the brain it's not possible so you'll be chasing that high the rest of your life and you that is so true it. That is so true. And, and, you know, like when when you eat something in that, that first hit, it's like, yeah, but then after you do it so many times and then you have to keep eating more and more of it or changing or changing addictions that, and and now I understand that's what I did. Yeah. Oh God. Yes. Playing games while I'm watching TV. Right. 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 Mm. Done that. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I've been there. Done that. Titanic. Exactly. That's right. Yeah, and then when you, when you, chairs. when you look back, you're like, Oh, 
God. And more and more is coming to light. You know, the more I learn, the more I think about things, the more I was like, well, that explains that. That explains that. Oh right. my goodness. And y'all, it's liberating. It is. It's it's it 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 does kind of punch you in the gut. And you kind of maybe even go through a little bit of denial. But once you accept it, then you understand. It's just like when you finally get a diagnosis, when you've had all these symptoms and you and you're just going crazy and you keep going to the doctor and they keep going, everything looks normal, and then send you on your way when you know there's something wrong. And then finally right. a doctor will go, I know what it is bam, here's your diagnosis. Now we have, we, we know how to treat this. Right. And that and, ties in with the whole eating disorder problem, right? That they're mm-hmm. not treating the right thing. And I'm mm-hmm. sure eating disorders do exist. I'm, and oh I'm, yeah. I'm not here sure. to tell you that they don't. Um, I just don't, I just don't work with them. I just have no desire to. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. want to teach anyone how to moderate. It's just, yeah. I'm, I'm that us, way too. Yeah. My two partners know we have no desire to try to work with harmful users. We have yeah. no, none. none <laughs> that sounds like bitten. <laughs> I've heard her say that so many times, but you know what? I understand it now. I get it now because now I'm like that. So I get it. Okay. So um, one last question for you. Go ahead. Um, if somebody pretty well, after listening to all this kind of red light, okay, you know what? I'm a food addict. I don't even need to be diagnosed. I get it now. What can they do if, if they can't go and get professional help or, you know, go through one of your programs or whatever, what are some steps they can take to start the process at least to, to help them? Sure. So there's a couple of things that we actually do um, right now that are totally free and public access. Um, one of them is we were, I run a group on Thursdays, 4 p.m. Eastern time. So that's 3 p.m. Central time. Um, and no, that's where you're at. And, and every week, every Thursday for ever since COVID started, honestly, because I was kicked out. I went to low carb Denver, I got kicked out of work for two weeks and I started this group and it's been going ever since then. Wow. Um, so it's a great place to get community, get access. You, the, the three of us are there. We run the group, we do coaching. Um, sometimes we bring in speakers, like we bring in some really cool people. Like I know Eric Westman's coming soon. We have Nicole Avina is coming next week. So we bring in like leaders in the space um, so that you can get access to that. We also uh, facilitate the clubhouse room with John Unwin, which is called the fork in the road. So that's Wednesdays. That's 1 PM Eastern or, or noon central time. And then um, the other thing is if you go to sugarxglobal.com, you can actually download our free ebook called crush your cravings. Okay. It's a checklist and it gives you tons of resources. It, it, there's tons of links in there or send you to videos. I mean, to all sorts of things from the Eric Clapton clip I referenced, the couple of Robert Lustig videos, like resources on seed oils. I mean, like everything that we think you honestly need to get started is right there. Awesome. Uh, and so I think that's that's a really good launching point. And if you don't, if you if you never work with us again, we just want you to have this information because we think it's invaluable. Um, the other thing is um, the twelve step movement is massive and it is free. It doesn't require anything of you financially. Um, they are going to ask you to work on yourself. But other than that, they will give you help just out of the the love and grace in their heart for having found a solution and they want to share that solution with you. So that's definitely another option. It's not for everybody. Um, but And there are other options too, like smart recovery is an option. And and a lot of my colleagues run free groups too. And um, Sugar Bomb in Your Brain is a good place to get access to on Facebook, get access to some of this information. Bureau Tarman also has one. It's, I think it's called You're Sweet Enough. 
without sugar or something. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, her book, Food Junkies, is fantastic. Oh, love that. And I, I wrote a book with Cynthia Myers Morrison called The Fix for Cravings, which kind of takes people through a process of changing their life. Um, and food is just sort of one example of that. So there's, I mean, there's tons of resources out there. And um, if you'd like to get on a call with me, we, I'd be happy to, even if you can't afford anything, I just want to direct you to someone that can help you, um, whether that's connecting you with the right 12-step program based on kind of what your needs are and what your wants are, or connecting with some of my colleagues that might work one-on-one or whatever it is, we're, we're here to really help. I mean, we've been freed from a massive burden. Um, and, and we are, we say it's our privilege and our purpose to be able to serve. We really believe that. And so we just want to help. I feel you. I feel you. That's awesome. I will put all of Dave's information below. So no worries. Um, and thank you so much, Dave, for coming on and Hey, while y'all are here, subscribe to my channel, go follow Dave again. I will have it all below. So no worries. And thank you so much. I really enjoyed this more than an hour. (laughs) Thanks for, uh, Thanks for doing what you do, you know. Absolutely. We got to keep community needs powering on. (laughs) Thanks, Dave.